Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friends, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Howdy! And today we're joined by our friend, Chris. Hello. Today we're talking about instant family and the portrayal of adoption and foster care in media. So spoiler alert for instant family. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, Chris is a coworker of mine. He actually was the one who recommended Instant Family. So I thought of him when I thought of uh, what guest we would want on the show. Yeah, it's a, pr- it's a pretty easy process to be like, huh, who, who likes this movie enough to want to talk about it? The guy who recommended it. Would you look at that? <laughs> so, Chris, uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe some hobbies or what you do for a living? Um, I just, uh, 44 years old, I work, uh, I work in a school district. Um, I like to trail run and work out and keep in shape and eat healthy. And, uh, I just enjoy watching movies and, uh, talking about them. Nice. Uh, my brothers are really getting into veganism, but more specifically the, the food industry and how, so much of like advertisements and commercialism really convinces a population of what is considered healthy and they're really into like finding out what's not healthy and uh getting angry at people for not knowing that's your brother (laughs) it's both of my brothers sounds like really cool guys (laughs) yeah really fun uh I'm really, to be clear, in case they listen, they don't listen to the podcast, but to be clear, they're not actually <laughs> angry about it, but they they do like to talk about it, and I do appreciate the conversations we have. Phew. Okay, Joe. <laughs> they, um, this, they probably don't eat cheese if they're getting into veganism, but I found this out, and I thought it was really interesting. The reason cheese is, like, on so much stuff is because in the 80s when they invented skim milk, they had all this extra milk fat that they turned into cheese and so like the dairy farmers were like well then let's just push cheese so we can you know basically sell all the milk even though skim milk's so popular Mm, thank goodness they did that yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean as corrupt as that is like to convince me that it's healthy thank god yeah i don't know what i would do if uh i didn't have cheese um Chris, you, d- you did mention that you enjoy watching movies. Um, do you consider yourself like a movie, uh, what is it called, a cinephile? Uh, what is a cinephile? I don't know the definition. Well, do, do you know what a pedophile is? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I- I'm pretty sure that a cinephile is like someone who is into cinema, not turned on by cinema, but like really knows like a lot of the pop culture or behind the scenes aspects after watching the story. So like the actors and actresses, the production and all that stuff. I do like to look into those types of things and I do have, you know, some favorite directors and producers and I I I think I'm one of the last holdouts who was still getting like the DVDs mailed to them from Netflix. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. And I basically was getting letters from them like Hello, sir. Um, you're pretty much the last person to, <laughs> if they're like, we're happy to keep sending you these DVDs, but we have a new service. It's streaming. And uh, <laughs> so I ended up ending that and just using the streaming. But I definitely liked the Netflix um, recommendations before they, ch- they changed over. 
and um, you just got much better recommendations. And I was always into like independent films mm. and just like finding something that wasn't mainstream. And uh, I found I've found so many good movies that way. And uh, you could only get them on DVD. DVD they weren't streaming. And I love doing that. So, yeah, and I would do some research after and look more into the director or the producer and just look at other films they've done. And, um, yeah, I just really enjoy uh, movies. All right. If that's the case, I would call you a cinephile. Oh, all right. I think I've mentioned this on a previous episode, but I remember when Netflix came out and they were only doing the mailing service, I was like, this will never work. Yeah. (laughs) I loved it. I thought it was perfect. Chris was what supported Netflix until Mm -hmm. they realized the better option of streaming. Well, I hope every year they send us a they send you a card and are like, Hey, thanks for being (laughs) with us for through the good times and the bad. Yeah, they do. Uh, is there a recent movie that you watched, um, that you would want to recommend? A few of the movies that... What are some of the movies that I really like that you've probably never heard of? Um, movies like... Uh, did you ever see The Station Agent? Nope. It's like a young Peter Dinklage. It's Ooh. just a great movie. And like, I love... For, for some, I feel like most of the movies I watch are like coming-of-age movies, you know, or like, uh, you know, something like that. So that's, that's not necessarily a coming-of-age movie, but um, what else? There's a movie, The Kings of Summer... Some, I would recommend that. These are like, um, who's in that? Nick Offerman is in that one. That's a really good movie. There's uh, This movie's not necessarily an independent film, but uh, Silver Linings Playbook I thought was a, a good movie. And then you have that, you always have the the mental illness aspect if you wanted to talk about that. And oh, yeah, I actually watched that one with uh, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. Yeah, they did I almost called job. her J-Lo, and I was like, that's not her. <laughs> How dare I? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm definitely interested now that I know you're a cinephile. I'm going to take your recommendations a little more seriously. Now, <laughs> it seemed as if I did because you recommended I watch Instant Family and then I did. But what really happened was you recommended Instant Family and then two weeks later it popped up on Hulu like on the homepage and I remembered you saying it. If it had never popped up, I would have been like, that Chris is ridiculous. Right. And that's how I look at it like that's how you know things are meant to be when they happen like that. Because that movie, I had just watched it. like, And I, and I only watched it like a year ago, uh, this movie, Instant Family. And uh, it was just randomly, I was flipping through or just looking for something to watch. and Because uh, it's an older movie. I don't think it was. When was it made? 2017. I think it was... Uh, just a year or two. Yeah, I feel like it should have been more popular than it was. It really doesn't wasn't. Yeah, when Alex well. when Alex was like, "Hey, uh, let's watch Instant Family for the podcast," I assumed it was like an old old movie, like from the early two thousands, because I like I had never even heard of it. I definitely saw like trailers for it, and I do love me my Marky Mark, um, but when you have like limited funds and are going to go to the movies I spend all of my money on superhero movies right you want to go see the big epics that are worthwhile to see on the big screen and I guess you could consider this a superhero movie when we we really get into it well done Um, yeah so let's get into it Uh, so before we dive too deeply into it Chris could you give us like a one or two sentence synopsis of what Instant Family is about um, it's about a young couple 
who decides to adopt after basically because they feel like they want to skip ahead and and, <laughs> and skip over like all the baby stuff and just get right into it and um, they consider fostering and and hijinks and sue and hijinks and sue because <laughs> classic the classic deciding to adopt hijinks story <laughs> Yeah, it, it really is a classic, or at, le at least it should be a classic. Uh, I personally am going to rate it the same as an audience member and as a critic. I'm going to give it five stars all around. I'm uh, also going to give it the same audience and critic rating, but I'm going to give it a four um, just because I, I don't think it... I don't think I necessarily have any like thoughts on how I would make the movie better, but there's just something in my gut that's saying four, not five, you know? Yeah, trust your gut, man. I'm really glad you didn't say a half. Yeah, I did that for you because it is the holiday season, so. Aw. And I will go five all around as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm gonna speak for Chris and myself since we both gave it five stars. I didn't give you permission to do that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna do it though. For me. Yeah, okay, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm the editor, so. <laughs> um, I thought that the movie had a great combination of family humor, dark humor, and a mix of like drama and emotional pieces that really like. I say emotional roller coaster a lot because I think it's a fun phrase, um, but it's genuine in this case with Instant Family of. They got the pacing right. They they hired the right people to tell a compelling story where you were happy at all the right times. And once you got too tired of being happy, they made you sad. Once you got too tired of being sad, they made you happy again. Like, they, they got it. Yeah. Um, I will say, I, I think he was good. And I understand the bulk of this movie is a comedy. But it's very hard for me to take uh, Mark Wahlberg seriously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, as a father? Like he's, I think, I think his, I think his voice is just funny. Like so, whenever he says something, um, like he was in that movie about the um, the Boston bomber, and there's this very intense trailer, and he goes, "We gotta find these guys before they hurt somebody else," <laughs> and it just made me laugh. And yeah. it wasn't anything about his performance or the movie. It's just I, I think he has a funny voice. <laughs> I think. Uh... What what is that like a, a prejudice of yours, Joe? And uh, yeah, I'm I'm willing to say that. I'm willing to. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Um, one thing that I re that really jumped out at me was letting the dark humor sort of seep through in a way that I don't see in other foster slash adoption oriented media. Uh, things that jump out at me are like. Once they've they've started fostering and they're like, oh, let's just give them back. Yeah, let's let's do it. Like we we we've only had them a few days. Like we're not really that invested, right? Yeah, no way. We're not gonna do that. I know, but like, they're just letting out steam. And what I'm really glad is that they didn't make that into an opportunity for Lizzie, the daughter, the oldest daughter, to like be accidentally eavesdropping or stumbling in and being like wow they don't care about us like that moment was really just for venting and that's all it was and then they moved on to the next scene that's a good point uh yeah i thought that part was pretty powerful because having kids i have a 16 year old and a 13 year old 
who I've had since they were born, and you still have those same type of conversations about them when they're driving you crazy, and you're behind closed doors, and you know what I mean, and you're just with your wife, and it's just that same little vent session. And I thought that part was really well done. And did did you know that director, it's based on his life, real life adoption of three kids and a teenager? Oh, no, I didn't know it was uh, the director specifically. Um, but yeah. I, I knew that they were like based on true story aspects to it's it. It's the story of his life and his wife and three kids that they adopted, one of them being a teenager. So I just found, you know, after we decided to do this, I had... I looked at that, and oh. so that that it seems that it gives it a little more credibility. Yeah, is is the director the father or the mother in the scenario? The father. That's that's really amusing to me to think. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> oh. I read the uh, based on like his life, um, but for some reason I imagined that he was adopted, uh, like as a set of three children. Um, and I think we'll get into this later, but I think this also sort of speaks to what you were saying, Alex, about the dark humor that you don't normally see in these stories, because I think these are normally for kids and from the kids perspective. Oh. Um, and this is really the only one that I can think of that's like about the parents side of um, the this experience. That's an interesting observation. Right. Yeah. I'd say in uh, This Is Us. They, they focus a bit on the parents, but also on the kids. And that's a series, so it's a little bit easier to get into that with so much time on your hands. Um, I, I liked how they poked fun at the foster care system um, while still, like, acknowledging that it's doing good for society. They, they still are like, are we just shopping for kids? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to feel weird, but... Like, this is the easiest way, and it gets people in homes faster, and then we sort of deal with it as it goes after that. And it's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's always been, uh, again, I I was planning on bringing this up in the second half, but just an interesting aspect to me of how movies and shows portray adoption. It's the parents go in, and then the kids, like, fighting to impress the parents like doing a little showcase for them to be like this is why i'm cool (laughs) yeah it's interesting and and i do love the the little seeds that they put into the build-up of you know the teenagers often don't get adopted and you sort of see slowly but surely uh well if you saw the trailer you know what's going to happen but you see slowly and surely that marky mark will eventually want a teenager and I, I just really like the idea of a director being like, who do I want to portray me? Mm, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're the same. <laughs> um, but the, the emotional oldest daughter was, was another aspect of the movie that I was really appreciative of in the comedy that they used of, listen, I've been raising these two are you going to let me or not? Are you going to let them scream or do you want me to take care of it? Um, while the parents are tr- sort of trying to find their foothold in the family dynamics, they sort of let the oldest daughter fall back on old tricks and then eventually be like, wait, no, 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 we, we got this. No, you're not going to hit them. Uh, wait, I don't, I don't know what to do. But it's also that part, I think, was meant to show you when Ellie lost Lizzie 
because everything was going good. It was like, I think it was one of their, their first dinner, right? And she went, Lizzie went into like mom mode because she had raised them for so long. And then Ellie like cuts her off and tries to like step in and do the right thing. And you could tell that that's when she lost Lizzie. And that's when it, the whole, just those two butting heads for the, and you know, she never got that really close relationship that she wanted with Lizzie. And yeah, I think it showed, um, that was like, all right, this is, you think you got it. I'm going to let you, let you take this and good luck. Yeah. It, it was an important moment to further the strain going further into the movie. Yeah. But I thought it was well done. Like, like I, like you just mentioned earlier, like I love how they got right into it. Like within 10 minutes, they were like in the adoption process. And he had that, they had that little montage when he, when he, when she was looking at the, uh, on the online at the kids and then he comes over, at, you know, later that night and he starts looking at everything over that, uh, that Paul McCartney song. It was really good. Um, <laughs> And then the first meeting they had where they introduced you to all the other parents and it was just so, I thought it was so, it was like they did every stereotypical type of couple and it was blatant, but it wasn't, you know, you needed it. It was a great comedy. Yeah, they're like nodding to previous movies that have tried yep. this story and sort of being like, listen, we're going we're gonna to make fun of ourselves while doing this, but we're also going to get a lot of things right. Right, and I think that those two counselors, they make it, they give it so much legitimacy, right? Um, Karen and Sharon, they're, they're like, their characters is like good cop, bad cop, but bo they both, you can tell they, they're, they could be friends in real life. They looked like, they seemed like they were friends in the movie, and they were both very funny and played off of each other great, but they gave it legitimacy in the, you know, the, the, um, activities that they brought them through and you know the way they explained things i thought it was very well done not that i know anything about the whole system and process but i feel like it it, it was honest and um they showed you the good sides and the bad yeah and i i really appreciated that being able to admit faults without like demonizing um the foster system um, a lot of my classmates are um, doing family law stuff, so they deal with the system a lot. Some of them have even been through the system, and they have, you know, some varying opinions on the foster care system. And, you know, some of them are very, very bad. But, you know, you have to remember there are people out there with, like, you know, a lot of generosity trying to do their part to help these kids. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they, they portray a lot of things correctly, but obviously the purpose of a movie at the end of the day is entertainment, so they're going to get some things wrong. Um, one, I guess there are two things specifically that they got wrong that rubbed me the wrong way differently than when they got other things wrong. They sort of touch upon the white savior complex twice. Um, they mention it at the, I guess, adoption agency orientation thing. And Lizzie mentions it in a, in a one-line fury thing. And I do think that it, that is a bigger topic to address. Obviously, it would be difficult to do in a comedy. They did a really good job of, like, towing the line there. But... When you're going to mention White Savior Complex, I think it's important 
to dive a little deeper to really explain what that means for people who don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah, I, th- I I agree. It's like a much bigger topic, but I, you sort of mentioned that'd be hard to do in a comedy. I don't think that was necessarily what this movie was trying to tackle. I think they had their own completely separate thing. And so they were like, well, we can touch on this, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> yeah, I think we're both talking in ignorance. Neither of us really knows what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but for for my from my perspective, that's really something that shouldn't be glossed over. Like, in my mind, glossing over the blindside mom the mom who's trying to adopt to find an athlete because she was inspired by the blind side. That's something that can be in the background. I think, yeah, I agree with that. Right. They did a well, it was, they did a good job with that, but I think they didn't necessarily, I think if they glossed over it because it would kind of change the whole movie. If you're, if you start focusing on that too much, because it was ultimately it's a comedy and they used that part for comedy and it was, it was hilarious. But yeah, I don't. I don't think they could really get into that without it taking a different direction. For the most part, you want it to be a little more lighthearted, and it did have those parts where you're like choked up, like you said earlier. It was, it was great that you could be laughing at one point, and then like you're actually like, it, it got a little more heavy. Yeah, I, I agree. Because like again, it's a comedy. It's hard to address these things. And the the one more criticism I had, which I. F- felt, but I didn't really know how to put into words until I actually researched a little bit um, about like the portrayal that they do in Instant Family. And they mention how the birth mother is really like a caricature of what people perceive birth mothers to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something else that rubbed me the wrong way that I wish they would have made um, the birth mother, Carla, a more dynamic character so that it doesn't sort of reinforce that stigma or misunderstanding but again understanding that this wasn't her story necessarily this was about the parents this was about the kids so i understand why they glossed over it it's just uh i guess a dangerous precedent to me uh yeah i i agree um i think uh sort of what you were touching on with you mentioned this is us I think this is us um, in their foster care adoption arc. They have a a much more realistic uh, portrayal of like a birth mother and their relationship with their child going through foster care. Um, But again, that is a a show with hour long episodes for a whole season. So they have a lot more time to dedicate to that kind of thing. Yeah, and I'd say these criticisms are pretty nitpicky on on mm-hmm. my end. So, because it's such a good movie, I'd love to like maybe talk about favorite lines or favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ultimately it is a comedy, and there and I thought the um, Marky Mark and and Rose did a great job, and they they played well off of each other. And uh, Ellie Rose Byrne was, I think she was hilarious. Like. Um, well, that part when they were shopping for children and they, uh, you know, they weren't having any luck and they're sitting there at the table and uh, the one counselor comes over. And uh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> they're like, well, we were talking to this one girl. She, you know, she was shy and guarded. She's over there by herself. And Mar- uh, 
Pete was like, you know, maybe a little fetal alcohol syndrome. You know, you know, there, you know, that's her over there. She kind of gives, gives you that look like she's been chained to a radiator for half her life. And then obviously the counselor was like, that's my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> she's sitting over there because we want to, she already has a family. I thought that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. That was well done. Um, I love when Juan and uh, Marky Mark are playing basketball. <laughs> and uh, Pete, Marky Mark is like, uh, or Juan asks him, do you like the Clippers? And then Pete goes, no, I'm more of a Lakers fan. And then Pete throws the ball and it just n- nails Juan right in the face. And Juan's like, you hit me because I don't like the Clippers. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. I think the Clippers are awesome. I think they were smart for trading Blake Griffin, their best player. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I appreciated when they berate the student because they think that he is Lizzie's boyfriend that asked for nude pictures. Oh, boy. Yeah. And they oh, yeah. uh, they just, like, yell at him and they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you do that. You know what? Whip it out. Whip it out right now. Show everyone. <laughs> um And then he finally gets a word and he's like, oh, that's not me. My name's Charles. <laughs> yeah, but at least he, you know, I, I like how they brought it around full circle and they have him at the at the adoption hearing at the very end and he waves to Lizzie. So it's like, all right, it worked out for him, the poor kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and beating down the uh, custodian, that was great. That was a great scene. And then they're yelling at him in the car as they're cuffed. You don't see <laughs> yeah. them cuffed at first. And then they pull away and they get they get put into the uh, police car. But one, the part where I literally uh, you're like laugh out loud is when is when um they're considering the adoption and they they liked lizzie but then they're like you know lizzie actually comes with siblings and they slide the pictures across the table (laughs) and pete's like why would you show us that and he's like you're an asshole like so it's so it's so good like it's like like really that's what you'd be thinking but i mean obviously if you're in that it, it it was good for the movie being that it's a comedy who knows if someone would really do that when they're in the but like that's yeah. what you're thinking like really you're gonna do this to us yeah it's similar <laughs> to when they are starting to consider uh, adoption or fostering and she is looking on the website and um Pete is like, why are you looking at that? Like, what are you doing? Like, no, I'm not going to look at that. And then she, like, goes to bed or goes to the other room. And when she walks out, he's, like, teary-eyed, scrolling through the Mm -hmm. same website. And is like, I can't believe you made me look at this. Mm -hmm. Oh, the the one last part that was just hilarious was um, when they meet the mom for the first time at the park and they have to leave her. And, uh, And then... Ellie was like, you know, I, I feel bad. I feel like we're breaking up a family. And Pete's like, don't feel bad. She left those kids. It's like, yeah. Uh, she's like, he goes, those kids, they were living like, they were like feral cats living in a crack house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall that, that comedy injected into what is normally a dramatic moment or a dramatic movie is very useful and it becomes much more palpable to consume in a way where you actually learn about the system and and you learn about what it's like to start a family in a non-traditional way. Agreed. I agree. I 
I just randomly watched it. I was on vacation, and I when I was telling people about it, I was like, it's hilarious movie, but it's also it's like a re, it's just a really good movie. It's a feel good movie, and that the, I you know a lot of times I like to watch those movies. I like them watching movie with a clean, nice, happy ending. It's a nice package. You know, you had comedy, you had the drama in there. You actually have a, a real topic in the movie that they're kind of addre- they're addressing seriously. And um, I just thought it was really well done and a, a nice, complete movie. The characters were all well done, and uh, they delivered. Um, so with that, I think we could take a little bit of a break, and then we'll explore some other media that um, maybe didn't handle the topic as well as Instant Family did. Hey, Alex, um, do you think you could help me with a, a little problem I've been having? Yeah, no problem. I, um... Oh, I, I solved it. I said no problem, now you don't have a problem. That's a good one. Did you make that up on the spot? Uh, yeah, actually. I think I, I improvised it. How'd you learn how to do that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it. Um... <laughs> Um, Shows how good those classes are. (laughs) I am willing to advertise this. I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's okay. SeriousComedyTheater.com. That's right. SeriousComedyTheater.com. That's theater with an R-E. You will see the theater that Joe and I are both involved in. Yes, we perform improv and now stand-up. Serious Comedy Theater offers classes in improv, it offers classes in stand-up, and it offers classes in sketch writing. So no matter how you want to produce, you can be part of a group, you can be by yourself, and you can do it off the stage. So if you're in the Beacon, New York area, or even just the Mid-Hudson Valley, definitely look into this great opportunity. I'm certain that my comedic tendencies have skyrocketed ever since being taught under the masterful Chris Fontakis, 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 Takis, 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 Chris, Chris. <laughs> That's serious comedy theater, re.com. Boy, oh boy, I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to go out and purchase those goods or services. Yum, yum. I already have one. Say it now. Oh, you already own one? (laughs) Whatever the thing is you're talking about. What do you get for the man who has everything? I had one on the way over. I bought myself an Audi for Christmas. So to, to get us started, because this is our first December episode, I wanted to talk about what I'm asking for Christmas so that our listeners might purchase it for me. Um... Except my mom already told me she's getting it, so I'm more just bragging. There are a pair of headphones that my friend Greg pointed out to me. They're about 100 maybe $115. Um, they're wireless, and they don't go into your ear. Um, and they're not headphones either. They lie, like, on your temple, and they sort of play, like, in the direction of your ear and it's great sound quality but you can also hear your surroundings and it's a it's really useful for like people who are afraid of running with 
earbuds because like they can't hear their surroundings and it feels kinds of kind of dangerous. Um, but it's also great. It's just for me specifically with their running, the earbuds are really uncomfortable and they always end up like falling out and it's like halfway through a run. I'll just pull them out and be like, forget it. I'll just hum to myself or something. So they would stay on while you're running. Yes. They're you specifically know, designed for runners. It's funny you mention that because I just listened to a podcast that one of our colleagues recommended called The Pessimist Archive, and they're quick little 35-minute episodes. And the very first one I listened, it was the first one they ever did, it was on the Sony Walkman and headphones. And basically mm-hmm. what this guy does in this podcast is he compares, like, Um, how things were back in the day, you know what I mean, compared to now, how everyone, you know, back in the day, everyone thought, you know, everything was the end of the world, this is going to be the death of all of us, and so they talk about the Sony Walkman, and it was, it was crazy to hear about how they looked at it, it was a brand new product, and there was all, there was outrage, there were towns that out, they made it illegal to have headphones on out in public, walking in the street, <laughs> driving in your car, and I get it. And right, and it actually, like a teenager walked into the street with his headphones on and got hit and killed. So it like turned into this big thing, like headphones, or the, you know, these kids are wearing these these things on their ears and they're just disconnecting from society and you know they're not there's no more of that social structure anymore and they you know they're blasting this music directly into their ears and it was it was just funny to um to hear that perspective because you don't think about it and we're, yeah. de- we're dealing with the same things now with social media and kids with their phones and there's, there's a great xkcd comic that's exactly that of someone declaring wow, this next invention is isolating us over the course of, like, uh, thousands of years. It was like, wow, books are preventing people from having real conversations, especially when they're reading it in public. Like, oh, wow, like, magazines, like, you care more about pop culture than about your neighbor, and so on and so forth, until it gets to phones. And the the guy looks up and is like, just take a hint, man. No one wants to talk to you. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, the, just so everyone knows, the headphones are called Aftershocks, or the the brand or company are called Aftershocks. I don't actually know for sure. Um, uh, but Chris, what yeah. are you asking for for Christmas? Um, I am looking for a new DSLR camera that also takes video. They're making. I th- I feel like they're making a lot more cameras that are hybrids like that now, so you don't need two different devices. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of. Uh, take a lot of pictures and film video for my kids' sports and their sports teams, and I upload it to um, a site called Huddle where all of the athletes can go on and make, like, highlight tapes from it. So they kind of rely on me to... I do it for his school team and his travel team, so I just need to upgrade my equipment a little bit, so I'm hoping for a uh, Ooh. one of those cameras. Are you asking the team for it? Like, <laughs> are you... Are they pitching in because you're giving them better quality content? No, it's just it's just something I do voluntarily. <laughs> I enjoy doing it. It gives me something to do at their games, and um, that's what this podcast is for me. I put a lot of money into this yeah. just to do something. Right. Yep. <laughs> it keeps you out of trouble. It's good. Oh no, I also get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just think about how much more though it would be. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's possible. He's got a. That's a very good point. Yeah. Wow. I wish my mom saw it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or the police. <laughs> Joe, what are you what are you getting for Christmas? So I am asking for a bass guitar 
there's this really neat one I found at Guitar Center um, that is acoustic, but it has the capabilities of being plugged in and then being an electric guitar because... Because you're not I, hot enough as you are? My exactly. God. Uh, I'm uh, not very musically inclined. I played the cello in third grade, and that was it. And a lot of my friends, particularly from back home, all play instruments. And so I always feel not left out but like left out and so <laughs> and so i was like what's what's a cool instrument that i could play and so uh i'm asking for a bass listeners <laughs> all right do you have a web address for that where they can go find the exact one like alex provided oh yeah it's in uh <laughs> I- ibanez oh i-b-a-n-e-z acoustic dash electric bass uh you can search that on guitarcenter.com cool (laughs) yeah alright well I appreciate you guys doing that segment with me for this half of the show we're really going to talk about other media that has tried to portray adoption, foster um, care Um, some current or at least recent shows or movies that come to mind are This Is Us, Shazam uh, Parenthood is already kind of dated and then some other old ones like Stuart Little, Annie, uh, Joe, you said that Skyrim? Yeah, uh, Skyrim, which is old but still current. One of its DLCs in uh, added a, an adoption mechanic. Got it. That's cool. Um, so out of the ones I listed or more, which are all of you familiar with? Um, Stuart Little. Uh, Skyrim, because that's the one I suggested. Is Parenthood the one with uh, the brother from Everybody Loves Raymond? Uh, no, that's Single Parents. Ah, okay. Uh, but Everybody Loves Raymond Raymond is eventually in Parenthood. He's in, like, season ah. four, and it's only a five or six season show. He, like, just pops in as a guest star, and then everyone loves him, and he's like, oh, I'll, I'll keep doing the show. Everybody loves Raymond? You wouldn't believe it if I told you. <laughs> well, I guess I may I may not be a cinephile because I the only one of those movies I've seen is the original Annie. Mm. But that actually becomes on my list of one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? Oh. Yeah. I think yeah, I think it's like it's like a, a perfect movie. You know, it has it has everything. Um, singing. Yeah. A good storyline happy ending child abuse yep (laughs) it has it all so that's my only that's the only other movie anything like this that I've seen okay well well, don't feel bad because the only other movie I mentioned was Shazam the superhero movie Um, and the other ones were shows so uh, Chris do you have you heard of Stuart Little yes okay so you so your mind won't be blown when we when we tell you what the plot is. Actually, can you not talk about any of these movies so you don't spoil them for me? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. No, 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 we won't end it now. We'll we'll work around it. Okay, so so in one of the movies, there's a mouse that gets adopted. By a human family or other mice? Yeah, by by a human human family. family. Oh, I might have to see this one. Yeah. Sounds good. Gina Davis is the mom. One of the henchmen from 101 Dalmatians is the dad. Is that correct? Am I saying Yes. Okay. Dr. House, if you're nasty. 
Stuart Little was actually one of the ones that I was thinking of when you guys mentioned the uh, like shopping for kids scene uh, because the way they find Stuart Little is they're all like, wow, all these kids, you know, like how are we going to pick one? And Stuart comes out and starts like naming why all the other kids are so great. And they're like, that's what makes you great, Stuart. And so they adopt him. <laughs> I love the tweet. That's something along the lines of, imagine being in the foster system for three <laughs> years, watching a mouse get adopted before you. That's <laughs> yeah, tough. That's got to make you angry. Yeah, probably. Um, the one I'm most fluent in, I think, is Parenthood, because I really committed to like these six seasons. And what ends up happening in Parenthood is Julia and Joel, who are this couple with a daughter, um, decide that they want to adopt. And they find this woman, Zoe, who's currently pregnant and is go like doesn't know if she wants to keep the baby. And Julia's like, all right, we'll adopt it like as soon as it's born. Um, and for a really long time, it's like a really weird relationship where... They are trying to support Zoe because she's not in the best situation. And Zoe's boyfriend is trying to exploit uh, the parents. And then at the end of this path that we see, this journey, Zoe ends up wanting to keep the baby. Um, And so she does, and they lose sort of all hope and feel exasperated. And within the same episode... The adoption agency asks them to host a seven-year-old named Victor, and it's this weird emotional roller coaster that a lot of people online complained about, the ridiculousness of the situation. But once we get into this plotline with Victor and hosting him, being his foster parents, and eventually wanting to adopt him, I felt that the portrayal was pretty good specifically because they struggle with him. They struggle with his outbursts. They struggle with the fact that he doesn't trust them. And there's a a specific scene that jumps out where the daughter is sort of making fun of Victor. She feels kind of threatened that he's in their lives and points out that Victor's mother didn't want him. And in a rage, he throws a metal bat and it breaks a window. And Julia runs over and is like, don't hurt my daughter. Um, And he immediately sees like, oh, you don't see me as your son. Like, I'm still just, you know, like a kid living here. Um, And it's a very powerful moment of seeing that differentiation, like Julia feeling guilty that that is how she feels and sort of coming to terms with that, but also evolving that relationship. And the reason I'm talking for so long is because none of you have seen the show. (laughs) No, yeah, I knew. Oh, you knew? (laughs) (laughs) I knew that's why. I didn't know anything about the show. Oh, you were like, oh, I knew that was the outcome. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. I meant like, I I was like, I'm going to let Alex explain this because I have no point of reference at all. (laughs) Um, but Joe, I know that you watch This Is Us and I watch This Is Us, so maybe we can talk a little about it with uh, Randall, Beth, and Deja. Yeah, let's set the scene first. So Beth and Randall decide that they want to um, be like foster parents. Um, I think because 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but Randall is like, I was basic, I, I was adopted. And so I want to be able to do that for somebody else. I think it was Beth had the final say of like, I want to foster. I think uh, I can't remember. Well, uh, regardless, they, they do end up fostering and they foster this. Uh, I think she's like 14. Um, her name is Deja. You know what it is? I'm going to, this is, this is my guess. I think they like, I think Beth was worried that the kids were growing up. And so they wanted another kid and then they talked about it and decided to foster rather than like have an actual baby. And so they were expecting like uh, a much younger, like toddler to like 10 years old. And then Deja arrives, who is older than either of the daughters that they had um, naturally. And hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue. (laughs) The classic formula that everybody loves. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, I think some of the portrayals in This Is Us specifically regarding fostering are a little unreasonable. I think Randall and Beth being angry that the birth mother wants to be involved in Deja's life seems a little weird because the whole foster care systems mantra like their number one thing is that fostering is the goal of fostering is always temporary because the goal is always to reunify the birth parents with the children yeah um and this is Sort of what just something I wanted to quickly mention. I think a lot of times media conflates those two um, uh, based on my cursory Google search. Foster care is what you just said, Alex, is basically attempting to put the kids in um, a stable environment while the parent, while the birth parent um, tries to become the parent they need to be to raise their children. Whereas adoption is where the birth parent has voluntarily given up their rights to the child and then the child is adopted by a new set of parents. Um, And I think sometimes media can sort of portray it as like, well, you kind of foster them for like a trial run and then at the end of it, maybe you get the kid, maybe you don't. But with that being said, do you think it is the best formula for the foster system to always be trying to get them back with the parent like is that really the best setting for them if the parent is unstable you never you know they've already screwed up however many times and ultimately you could end up with a better family it may not be your biological parents but or mother or father specifically um but what do you guys think about that do you think that is the best formula Wow, this is a really risky thing to answer. Uh, Again, I'm speaking out of ignorance. Um, But to my understanding and to my belief, the the moving around within a foster system can be as traumatic, if not more, than than being in a home that's a a bit unstable. Um, When we're talking about getting into a foster family that wants to adopt and then sort of being pinned, quote unquote, against a a birth parent. I think that there is something to be said about the connection you have with your birth parents. And I recognize a foster parent's 
protective attitude mm-hmm. towards like, well, I don't want them to go back into the life that sent them to a foster care system. I don't think there's a simple solution. I I think bottom line, a birth parent should have a bit more opportunities than a, than a foster parent in the context of blood. I guess I, I don't I don't have too big of a reason other than like that feeling or sense of understanding the difficulties of being pulled apart or pulled away from a traditional family sense. Right, and they kind of address that in the instant family with, mm-hmm. you know, the connection Lizzie had with her mother. You know, she's like, she really had that connection because she was older and she had lived with her mother longer, obviously, even though it may not have been the best environment, she still had that connection. So they kind of do address that. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, in, in This Is Us, the, one of the more recent episodes, Deja gets back in touch with her birth mother, sort of like to check in with each other. It's not like to like reunite necessarily. And they have happy memories together. Mm-hmm. And at one point, like they're doing these inside jokes. And then Deja gets upset because her birth mother was finally doing well. And she felt it was because it was without her now. Right. Um, and so Beth was like, listen, let's let's focus on all of the happy moments that you had with your mother rather than than the difficult parts you had with your mother. Because just because she was struggling with something doesn't mean that she was a bad mother. She was just not in the correct environment to raise you in a way that. Right. And it doesn't mean that she's going to go back to that. She could have learned, you know, they could being apart like that and going through this whole thing could make them like really change and move forward and be successful so they they should have their their kids back yeah i think i think it's a definitely an interesting question one that i am certainly not qualified to answer um but i i agree with a lot with of what you guys have already said of just like maybe this is a cop-out answer but i i think it depends i don't know if there's necessarily a 100 percent always the right move answer um i think it's really gonna depend on what the kid wants and needs how the birth parent is handling themselves um things like that wow what a cop out yeah yeah (laughs) i mean that's what i'm here for getting pretty heavy the only other reference i have is from the original annie which was set in the 30s and I mean, you could run into that same situation where the corrupt woman running the foster home hires uh, her brother and they try to pretend to be Annie's parents and trick Daddy Warbucks. You know, that's probably very common, too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, that um, happens all the time. Th- th- that does bring me to a couple of things. Um I, I read sort of like a couple of blog posts about people who have gone through the foster system or people who participate in, in the foster care and talking about cliches that they're tired of seeing in Hollywood. One of them being that if you foster, you are either a saint or a villain, and nothing in between mm-hmm. of like just a person who's trying to do a little bit more good, um, a person who happens to have an extra bed, happens to have a little bit more room in their heart or whatever. Um, and they're they're just sort of tired of getting portrayed as 
these polar opposites of each other. And I think they make fun of that in Instant Family. They're like, look, we're not villains, but we're not saints Mm -hmm. either. Like, this is just our situation. And this is what we've the path that we've chosen. Um, This is actually an excellent opportunity for me to uh, slip into Skyrim. Pajamas. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now I'm slipping into my Skyrim pajamas. You just finished my... Sandwiches. That's what I was going to say. Man, we're good. Um, So Skyrim has this faction you can join called the Dark Brotherhood, and they're this, like, League of Assassins. And the way you get involved in them is... You hear rumors about this little orphan who is calling the Dark Brotherhood. You go in and he's like, oh, the person from the Dark Brotherhood's here. And even if you're like, no, that's not me. He's like, no, it's definitely you. And he's like, I escaped the orphanage and I want you to kill like the evil orphanage owner. Uh, And then you go and kill her. Um, And I, I think... It just kind of speaks to this stereotype of the evil foster parent. I think probably Annie started that because it was yeah, one of the I would first not movies that addressed this. Yeah. Yeah, and they do point it out in Instant Family. Like, they again point out how the system, sure, it's flawed, but it's the one that we have. There are people in it for the paycheck. We try to sort through those people and don't let them in, but it's not impossible for some of them to still be in the system but with within the the context again of just the portrayal in hollywood they often don't point out the the processes that occur after you foster or after you you get a child to foster like there's a lot of social work visits to make sure that the environment is appropriate and a lot of like calls and check-ins there's a respite care which is when a foster family sort of needs a babysitter kind of or needs like a short break because when you're fostering someone, that child is still under like the government's um, protection. And so you can't just let anyone babysit. You have to have someone who has been approved by the government to babysit. So there are like foster families that only foster for a few days to give other foster families a break. And that's something that's never been seen in Hollywood. Mm. Um, the, the last movie that I know anything about regarding the foster care system is Shazam. Chris, you said he didn't watch Shazam. Mm-hmm. You know the premise? No. Guy says Shazam, he gets special powers. That's that's really it. But it, it's a... <laughs> so, it, so you gotta know. <laughs> A kid in the foster system, his name is Billy, and what they get right in Shazam, and they do really intelligently, is that there's this family who has like five or six foster kids, and they sort of make each kid almost like a stereotype of of a foster kid, but really the kids are multidimensional in real life, but there's the young adult who is about to age out of the system is trying to get into college is trying to figure out how she's going to pay for it um there's the the middle children who are sort of disengaged they're worried that this isn't going to last so they're sort of like self-protected by keeping to themselves 
And then there's like the younger kids um, who are terrified of being ripped apart again. And so like they constantly are talking about togetherness and like the security of being a family and sort of use family as a mantra to sort of protect themselves of this won't happen again. Like I, I won't lose a family again. And they do a good job of it. And and then also when the guy says Shazam, he gets superpowers. <laughs> hmm, that's an odd twist. I have to see it now. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, one thing that a lot of the media gets right is that these children have pasts. And the past is something that you need to address before you can live in the present and before you can move forward. Um so for people who deal with children in any context, whether that be teaching, coaching, babysitting, uh, interested in, in fostering or considering adoption, or children will have pasts. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next time when we talk about the Disney Plus original, Noel. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at two underscore bald men and find us on Facebook and at twobaldmenpodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Thank you all again. And if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.